This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. Hey there, this is Kat Spazzato, intern for Alt Latino. Alt Latino is taking a break from making new shows for a bit while we regroup for the upcoming year. But that doesn't mean that we'll leave you without some great content from Alt Latino's extensive inventory of interviews. We'll be taking a deep dive into our archive and pulling out some of our favorite coverage throughout the years. Enjoy. It's officially March, which means it's time to celebrate Women's History Month. And here at Alt Latino, we have interviewed a number of powerful women artists from across the globe throughout the years. And this week, we'll be reintroducing you to a few of our favorites. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. And our archive episode this week features three interviews from 2012. First, we'll listen to a conversation with Chilean rapper Ana Tijoux as we dive into her musical influences. Then we'll hear from Colombian singer Lee Salmet, the front woman of Bomba Estéreo, about her Caribbean musical roots. And finally, we'll hear from Mexican-American folk musician Lila Downs, who will talk about the wide array of music that has influenced the distinct sound that she is widely known for. You know, I interviewed a very young Ana Tijoux even before we started Alt Latino. We were in a parking lot in 2009 at the South by Southwest Music Festival in Austin, where she was about to do one of her first ever U.S. gigs. And since then, we've talked many, many times over the years, even as recently as last year in a great Instagram live interview. She's a fascinating person, a powerful musician, and always moving things forward. Her music and our thoughts about the world we live in. That's one of the reasons why I love talking with her. We're also going to hear again from former alt-Latino co-host Jasmine Garst on this interview with Ana Tiju. You know, Ana, I'm curious about how, out of all the different styles of music that you were exposed to, like you explained, the metal, the punk, the Latin American music, you know, what was it about hip-hop that allowed you to find your own voice? Because I feel that hip-hop, for me, I always consider it this, this style of music that is a land of so many people. I mean, it's the land of the people that doesn't have a voice, the people without a voice, and made their voice in the hip-hop. So that's why I think that hip-hop is so big around the world, because uh, I think we all like have so many respect and, and appreciate so much that this style was invented here in North America. But I think it's very beautiful how also each country and each culture has been like taking this style and make their own sausage about how we made it. And I feel that also like this is the perfect mixture between talking with rhythm and it's not very much that you are singing, but you are singing. You are a singer, but you're not a singer. You are a poet, but you're not a poet. You are a writer, but you are like almost a sociologist 
of rhyme to say in another in some world and in this case I feel that it's very interesting because I feel that make the powerless of this style that where you don't need to go to the school or university it's just about a feeling and this autodidact a way of explain yourself about a reality or whatever a lot of people who follow your music don't understand Spanish and that has yes. always struck me as as just very interesting I wonder why do you think that is I have theory about it <laughs> I'm <laughs> a terrorist of, of this uh, one of my theory is that I feel that um, you got to understand and I always say this and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself but I don't have the best way to explain it like You got to understand in South America we have been listen and consume so many American music and we didn't understand either and we love it. I mean we I think we all has been fan of James Brown or I don't know on to the temptation until I don't know a tribe called Quest or whatever. So I feel that uh, this barrier of language has been broken and it it is begin to be broken between this is music first of all. That's my first theory about it, that at the end is the music that interests. And my second theory is that, I got to be honest, my school of rhyming has been a lot of North Afro-American music, hmm. Afro-American MCs. So I used to listen one and once again so many albums from here, like trying to understand the style of the rhyme, not understanding sometimes everything. So yes, my university and my school of rhyme has been Bahamadia or Q-Tip, or the roots, or whatever. They was my teacher. I would not say that I'm them at all, but yes, I feel when you have been inspired and you take classes with your ears so many times with, uh, with albums, like in a certain way you apply what they teach you in a style way, you know, of rhyming. What was the first American hip-hop that you discovered? Uh, a Tribe Called Quest. No, I know I'm saying stupidities. No, 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 it was public in me. Because I remember we saw this movie in France, Do the Right Thing, and it was like, oh, fight the power, and like, I come crazy. Say, what is this? Like, what is this? I fall automatically in love. Like, uh, I remember I buy the cassette like a crazy. <laughs> I don't know what age I used to have, like 10 or 11. I don't remember, I was super young. And you got to know that in, at that time, at that point, like France was the second country consuming hip-hop and making hip-hop in the world. The, the scene, the hip-hop scene is very huge, not only even in in music, I mean the graffiti scene and, and b-boy scene. So I think that it was the perfect country when you was feeling that, oh, I can do that too, like you can create and you, if you want you can be a DJ or you can dance or you can rhyme. There was so many disciplines to explore and apply. So yes to my eyes of, of a kid of a little girl at the time i was like wow it was a whole universe opening in front of my eyes so what did your parents think were you just like one day i want to be a rapper and how did they react very well i've got the chance to have a, an amazing family and i've got to tell it like i arrived in hip-hop not in a very cool way but i arrived in a hip-hop for the work of my mother because my mother was a social worker in Paris, and so she was working with all these young guys and women, and there was a whole super hip-hop. So some days I, I was not going to school, and I was with her at, at, at work, and I was looking at all of them making graffiti dance, and so I was like, wow, the work of my mother is the best. Uh, so they always have been super supportive, and I, because I feel that most of all they are sensitive persons, and... There is so much prejudice and ignorance about the style of hip-hop. And just like you hear from the different styles, like, you, for example, with Fight the Power, there's sort of a, a James Brown feel to it. 
I have to say, when I first heard that, when I saw the film, that's what struck me, the James Brown beat, yes. you know? Yes. And I think that brought in people from my generation, because yes. I'm a little older than you, just a little bit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I hear that in your music, too, especially with your new album, La Bala. There's different types of rhythm, there's different beats, there's all kinds of different experimental, interesting things going on in the music behind your, your rapping. Yes, it's what you say. I feel that the magic of hip-hop has been like that. A lot of us, we have been discovering, okay, I love this song. Who made that sample? So you begin to be almost like an investigator of music, no? And you discover another universe of jazz, bebop, Herbie Hancock, Miles Davis, Coltrane, James Brown, whatever. Patrice Ruchin, you begin to be like uh, fall in love with the, the, the original and what they done after like all those artists. I want to move on to discuss your newest album, La Bala, or The Bullet. Your previous album, 1977, was so introspective. It was almost like you were untangling yourself, like you were figuring yourself out and you were talking about Crisis on MC, like having writer's block, or the year you were born, 1977. And La Bala is a very outward-looking album and it's a very political and socially conscious album and I'm wondering what caused that shift? Well, first of all, everything is political, even the absurd. <laughs> I feel that everything is joined and every creation is revolutionary, even the fantasy. Even love is the first revolution, that's why that pushes you to make stuff, no? Love of creation, love of a change, love for life. Every creation and not only the music, paint, dance, Art is very political always because we are just a reflection of what live a society. Our lyrics are not so much from themselves. We just take ideas and we make a reflection about it. So in this case, it's obviously that La Bala was made in Chile last year and we was living and we are still living. So many protests for the students right now for free education and we are seeing all the a whole country that has been under a dictatorship and then under corporative situation like waking up and every 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 revolution every war even has been like as affect like art in general so obviously like living in chile and um, being a mother and see all those young people organize themselves taking their school and asking for something so beautiful as a free education because If our kids are saying that, it's because they are super alive and there is nothing more beautiful than dream and fight for a dream that is the beauty of knowing, no? So um, in that sense, yes, Laval, I feel that it was super inspired of the atmosphere of what was and still happening in my country. And I've always been curious, what prompted you to name the album Lavala? I put Lavala because there is a song which is Lavala, but also because... Now that I see with uh, more time in the back, I, I feel that I made this album like with a, an objective of of a, of a bullet, like one shot, super direct, like not trying to find like metaphor. It was like boom, you know. So that's why I put the name. It was great to go back and listen to Anna Tiju's interview from 2012. Like I said, she's the perfect combination of deep, meaningful lyrics and a wonderful conversationalist. And we've had a lot of good conversations away from the mic as well because she's a big jazz fan, so we always have a lot to talk about. That interview was from a show called Anna Tiju Talks Hip-Hop, Chilean Politics, and Being Married to Jazz. Me caí, me paré. 
Okay, also from the archive this week, we hear an interview with the Colombian singer and frontwoman of the band Bomba Estéreo, Lee Salmet, another musician who has continuously blown my mind with her lyrics, her performances, and the interviews that we've done over the years. And again, I have to go back to before we even started Alt Latino when I saw Bomba Estéreo steal the show at a South by Southwest showcase for Nacional Records. She and her Bomba Estéreo musical partner, Simón Mejía, have turned that initial introduction into a reputation for musical innovation. The following interview was a first for Jasmine and I because we sort of did a Spanglish conversation. Lee spoke mostly in Spanish. I asked my questions in English, and Jasmine sort of bridged the gap in between. Check it out. ¿Cómo te metiste en, en, en Bomba Estéreo? ¿Y alguna vez viste por esa... Esas diferencias, alguna vez cuando empezaste con la banda pensaste, uy, esto no va a funcionar. Bueno, la verdad es que, bueno, empecé por casualidad. Simón me invitó a hacer una canción y la verdad es que me gustó mucho como trabajar con él. Fue como muy, hubo mucha química, digamos. Y la, no, o sea, nunca he pensado como que no va a funcionar. Bueno, sí, cuando peleas o cuando tienes una dificultad con alguien. Dicen, no más, pero, pero más, más eso que cualquier cosa como tipo musical, no, no, no. O sea, a, a pesar de que a veces nos aburrimos de tocar las mismas canciones y todo, no, no, nunca ha habido un momento en que yo diga, no me gusta lo que él hace. O sea, si estoy todavía aquí es porque todavía me emociona lo que, lo que hacemos. Bueno, la niña Emilia, me encantó que elegiste a la niña Emilia eh, porque, bueno... Por empezar, tiene una apariencia muy, siempre tuvo una apariencia muy particular, con los lentes oscuros, muy llamativa, con las uñas brillantes y los anillos en el dedo. Eh, y, 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 y nada, un personaje muy llamativo. ¿Ella, es, ¿Ella te inspira a vos? Sí, definitivamente la niña Emilia fue como la cantadora o la, una persona de típica música folclórica, digamos, que... Era un personaje muy increíble, o sea, las cantadoras siempre son como unas señoras muy eh, abuelitas, sí. mamá de su casa. Esta señora era totalmente como una rockstar, era como <risa> con Total. sus gafas, como con su ropa, como con su, ¿sabes? Con sus letras. Era como, no sé, como una Madonna del folclore, yo qué sé, como no, no sé cómo explicarlo. Era como algo más allá, que iba más allá de, de todo, o sea, del folclore una actitud, una, una cosa muy, no sé, como, como, de otro, como de otro planeta. Eso es algo en realidad que me fascinó sobre la historia de ella, que ella en realidad se entregó del todo a la música como sí. ya entrados los 50 años, lo cual sí. hoy por hoy en la industria de la música es bastante raro y no es la única, su prima, la cantante Irene Martínez, también hizo su primera grabación como ya pasados los 60 años. Eh, y, y eso me parece... Muy raro, dada la industria musical ahora, pero también fascinante, porque, claro, uno lleva toda esa experiencia. Sí, increíble, ¿no? La niña Emilia tuvo una voz, con una potencia, con una actitud, además, a esa edad, con un test que prendía todo, y para mí ha sido como una influencia muy fuerte en el tipo, en la manera de cantar, en el tono de voz, eh, digamos, en, en, como, un poco también ser así como un poco irreverente en su manera de, de vestir y de, y de actuar, digamos. 
Bueno, ella está un poco más loca que yo. Mucho más. Okay, you guys were just talking about the artist La Niña Emilia, who was a folk artist from Colombia, who recorded music for a long, long time in Colombia and had a great influence on not just the music, but the attitude. And the way she approached life in general for Lee had a big influence. So let me ask you, Lee, did the other guys in the band have the same kind of affection for her? Sí, sí, sí. Definitivamente, pues a todos les gusta. Digamos que Julián es el que menos la conoce. Pero Simón sí ha escuchado, tiene discos. Quique también, pues Quique de Santa Marta también. Ha escuchado mucho. Y sí, hay respeto y la, y la admira mucho. Y también lo que te quiero preguntar es, bueno, ¿de qué está hablando en esta canción? Eh, la, sé que la dedicación al principio es eh, eh, para el 11 de noviembre, que es una fecha muy importante en Cartagena, ¿verdad? Sí, digamos que habla, no, habla cunde, cunde. Eh, son como muy, cantos típicos. Felix, I think the equivalent would be like a limerick. Like these songs are kind of like dirty limericks. Um, suggestive. Yeah, suggestive, like yeah. very folksy. Yeah. Bomba Estéreo siempre... Es como una banda eh, que para, para fiestas, es muy energética y, o sea, siempre los conciertos de Bomba Estéreo son como una in inmensa fiesta. Eh, cuando quisiste hacer algo más emocional y, y personal y, y triste y ponerte a llorar, ¿tuviste miedo que tu audiencia no reaccione tan bien a eso? No, para nada, para nada, porque mira que nosotros tenemos en el primer disco una canción que se llama Agua Salá, que es una canción, un bullerengue, que es súper suave, es mucho más suave que el alma y el cuerpo, es cumbia así básica, bullerengue. Y cuando hacemos shows, nos gusta tener siempre una parte medio acústica, ¿sabes? Donde yo pueda cantar, donde ellos puedan dejar de tocar un poco. No en todos los shows, pero casi siempre tratamos de incluir esa parte, que es muy emocional y que es donde a veces la gente más se emociona y más, o sea, más... Siente euforia en esos momentos calmados. Para mí y para toda la banda es súper importante respirar, dejar respirar el show. Obviamente no en shows súper potentes porque ahí ya mandamos toda la arquitectura pesada y bueno, para que la gente vaya. Claro. No sé qué. Pero, eh, en, digamos, en normalmente cuando tenemos lo podemos hacer, hacemos unas canciones medio acústicas y más suaves que hacen que el show también tome un un sentido muy emocional que no todo es baile. Ellie, were you nervous at all, or were the members of the band nervous at all in writing this follow-up album to something that was so successful, not just among people who were familiar with Latin music, but across uh, cultures? Digamos que sí sentí la presión, pero no nervios. Eh, nervios, afortunadamente, es una cosa que a mí no me da mucho. Soy una persona muy miedosa, como a la oscuridad y a eso, pero y a los fantasmas, pero no me da miedo, digamos que esto de la música sí, sí presión sí presión porque en un momento te pones a pensar la gente está esperando algo eh, de ti y de tu música, de tu banda pero al final era como esto es lo que yo tengo para dar ¿sabes? como con Simón dijimos esto es lo que tenemos para dar si la gente le gusta es porque le gusta sí. no podemos hacer más nada ni inventar más nada de lo que somos y hacemos eso, hacemos Creo que, que el álbum quedó lindo por eso, por, porque hicimos exactamente lo que sentíamos. Y el álbum fue así. No fue como, tenemos que hacer esto planeado así porque le gusta a la gente. No, fue exactamente lo que quisimos hacer. Una visión orgánica. Y, y es natural y, y creo que es, es como sincero. Sí. Y si la gente le gusta es porque realmente le gusta lo que hacemos. Yeah. 
Okay, finally, we hear from another 2012 interview with Mexican-American singer Lila Downs, in which Jasmine and I interviewed the singer about her bicultural musical influences. Now, Lila has been doing this for so long that she has inspired many of the younger musicians we feature here on Alt Latino. Her music really captures just about the whole of the Mexican musical experience, from folk to pop and everything in between. Her advocacy for indigenous people in Mexico was well known and widely respected, and her brand of feminism is fierce and part of her legacy. Lila Downs is another artist who has made several appearances on Alt Latino, and there's always something interesting that we can find to talk about. And this time, we talked about the vast array of music that has influenced her own music. Here's Jasmine and I talking to Lila Downs from 2012. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that your dad was a, a jazz lover, and he was a jazz musician. Um, I, I also, I, I've read several of your biographies in, in which it uh, talks about uh, your mother uh, being, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, several of your biographies talk about your mother being a mixtec cabaret singer. Is that correct? She was a singer. She doesn't like the word cabaret, but she says it was a cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering what kind of music that, that exposed you to. Yeah, of course. That was the uh, what we would call the the profane in Mexico would be rancheras, which are the country songs that speak about evildoers and <laughs> outlaws and and love, really passion. Uh, it would be kind of like the blues is sure. to, to the U.S. Like, what singers do you remember hearing? Well, my mother would listen to Lucha Reyes, um, Lola Beltran. A bit of Chavela Vargas, um, Pedro Infante, Jorge Negrete. All the classics. Um, Miguel Aceves Mejia, yeah. You know, I want to go back to the Miles Davis thing. I'm hoping that someday my kids say the same thing. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I love Miles Davis and I know that they, they can now recognize Miles within two or three notes, I'm proud oh, to say. But yeah. they still say they hate jazz, but they know Miles Davis. <laughs> Right. I don't think I really realized how jazz made such an imprint on my life much until much later. And and that was when, of course, I, I had finally decided to, um, to dedicate my life to music. Um, and that had a lot to do with Mercedes Sosa, which is the next singer on the playlist. Um, and she was, uh, you know, this miraculous voice that that I discovered when I was studying anthropology. Uh, I was studying symbolism of textiles that are woven by Indian women in southern Mexico. I've been reading, and you know, I think a lot of us can identify with, with some of the stuff you say about growing up and, and rejecting traditional music and, and your identity a little bit in favor of something else. You came to Mercedes Sosa a little bit later in life, right? Yes, I did. I did. I discovered her much later and uh, really su- was very surprised by the enormous instrument that that she was, that she continues to be in her memories. And um, But mainly, I think, that she was singing with a cause. That's what really motivated me to change the direction of uh, the artistic... Uh, things I was thinking about. What were you doing before, and how was it different than your music after hearing Mercedes Sosa? 
Well, I guess that I grew up uh, singing to traditional Mexican music and really identifying with the musical aspects of it. But I didn't agree with a lot of the kind of machista messages and and also some of the messages that were dated to me. You know, they were about uh, cowboys and horses and... <laughs> And yeah. the revolution, and I couldn't relate to those things. When, I mean, when you're little, uh, and and then uh, I think that also um, pop music and the music that I heard when I would come to the U.S. or um, I remember listening to uh, Linda Ronstadt and Melissa Etheridge. I remember listening to Santana later on and Jimi Hendrix, and these influences were. Um, it was like, how am I going to work this into our, into what I want to say? And that was a very difficult um, uh, thing to imagine, um, partly because our cultures are so different, the language is so different. Um, there is this kind of rejection within yourself. Uh, for me, in, in my case, it was rejection of being Mexican, rejection of being Indian, um, I was in denial of that, I think, at one point. And so music really kind of helped me unravel this whole story and come closer to my roots and accept myself. I'm still working working on it. <laughs> well, Felix and I were, as, as we prepared for today's show, Felix and I were talking about, you know, what it means to be Hispanic today and what it means to be of mixed heritage, which you are. Your father is uh, from the U.S. and your mother is indigenous uh, from Mexico. And I, I know a lot of people, and, and I include myself in that statement, that struggle, grapple with what that means. And there's a lot of, of, of guilt and confusion. And because you've made this so much part of your art, I wanted to ask you, do you think it's gotten easier? I think it's it's easier in some uh, way uh, to to be of of varied origin uh, of of mixed origin. It's also more acceptable now than, and also there's more of us, <laughs> uh, right? So right. it's just. Um, one of those things that uh, people can relate to better, but but it's still um, a cultural difference that it's like a cultural wall that we have between languages, and it's it's there are historical reasons for that, and um, I imagine similar to what happens between England and France. Uh, there are these, you know, we were enemies in the past, and <laughs> right. so in a deep subconscious level, we are enemies until we die. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, uh, and there's that element that is something that I think we all struggle with. Uh, but that's why music is so beautiful, because you can, you can delve in these things in some weird, emotional, uh, strange way, and you can... Come, come to the table, or come go on the stage and and perform and and exercise many of these emotions that you're going through. Yeah, I would think that. I mean, especially with Miles Davis, you played one that that got for those people who don't know us from the album Kind of Blue, and it, you know that album in particular. I remember very distinctly being able to appreciate that the you know the subtlety the profound subtlety of that album just about the same time that I appreciated the same qualities in boleros you know what i mean yes because like it, it and and you know when you're talking about this bicultural you know bicultural existence and where it comes from 
you know, the, those, I think those two examples kind of get right to the point. It's like it's more an internal, something internal that you have to recognize. And then you see things for what they have in common. Yes. And it's also, in my case, it's about rural versus the city. And I am a rural girl. I, I grew up, you know, near the farms. And my grandmother was a campesina, a woman who didn't read or write, who spoke her native Indian language first. Uh, so I, I grew up with this kind of poetic imagery of, of simplicity and being close to the land and the rotting of the leaves, feeding uh, the death, and then out of the death comes the new seed of life and the corn and <laughs> these right. images. And then, on, right. and then, as you move to the city, you 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 turn your back kind of on those on those elements, and you um, become more sophisticated, and also your needs become more sophisticated. Um, and and so that's fascinating to me musically. I think uh, each album that we have worked on has has kind of questioned these elements and, and also the instruments that represent uh, the, the urban dweller versus the uh, country folk. What song do you want to play next? Um, let me think. Well, um, I guess Lola Beltran is a very important influence in the earlier part of my life, and I think she always comes in and out of it. And uh, I guess I would like to to say that that she um, is the is one of the stronger musical forces. Hay momentos en que quisiera mejor rajarme para arrancarme ya a los clavos de mi pena. Pero mis ojos like tragic. How do you say dejarrado? Um, dislocated almost from, from anguish uh, in that voice, right? Yes, yes. I think that um, it's about crying. It's uh, a lot of these songs, the same way that that country, I think, is that way in the U.S. Um, or the blues. It's mm. about just letting go of yourself and your emotion and that's what the songs are a lot about most of the time uh, and also about drinking <laughs> <laughs> the, the uh, writer Alma Guillermo Prieto uh, once wrote a great line she says it's it's not a, it's not a Mexican party until someone starts crying that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful 2012 was 10 years ago you know, we all change over time, and I think it's always instructive to go back in time to listen to some of our most innovative artists as they were developing and growing as artists. That's one of the reasons why we're running this archive episode series. And this week we heard from three women musicians who are still making amazing music and are always at the top of their game, even as they develop and evolve. So there. That's it for this week's Archive episode. Many thanks to the Archive episode series producer, alt-Latino intern, Kat Spasado. She has become the alt-Latino archive expert, and she has a few more deep dives up her sleeve coming your way. You have been listening to Alt-Latino from NPR Music. I'm Felix Contreras. As always, thanks for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. 
Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.